0: Goliath and the Purple Lid by Sewell Ford, Short Story Collection 99. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Goliath and the Purple Lid One of my highbrow regulars at the physical culture studio, a gent that mixes up in charity wakes like organizing the debating societies in the deaf and dumb asylums, was telling me a while back of a great scheme of his to help out the stranger in our fair village. He wants to open public information bureaus where a jay might go and find out anything he wanted to know, from how to locate a new thought church to the nearest place where he could buy a fresh celluloid collar. Get the idea, says he, a public bureau where strangers in New York would be giving courteous attention, friendly advice, and that sort of thing. What's the use, says I. Ain't I here? Course I was just getting over a Josh. But say, it ain't all a funny dream either. Don't a lot of them come my way? Maybe it's because I'm so apt to lay myself open to the confidential tackle. But somehow, when I see one of these tourist freaks sizing me up and looking kind of dazed and lonesome, I can't chuck him back the frosty stare. I've been astray in a strange town myself so I generally tries to seem halfway human, and if he opens up with some shot on the weather, I let him get in the follow-up questions and take the chances. Here the other day, though, I wasn't looking for anything of the kind. I was just jolting down my luncheon with Little Promenade up the sunny side of Avenue V, taking in the exhibits, things in the show windows and folks on the sidewalks, as keen as if I'd paid my dollar at some ticket office and say, where can you beat it? I see it most every day in the year, and it's always new. There's different flowers in the florist displays, new flags hung out in the big hotels, and even the chorus ladies in the limousines are changed now and then. I can't figure out just what it was landing me in front of this millinery window. Generally, I hurry by them exhibits with a shudder, for once I got gay and told Sadie to take her pick, as this one was on me. And it was months before I got over the shock of paying that bill. But there I finds myself, close up to the plate glass, garbing at a sample of what can be done in the hat-line when the Bureau of Obstructions has been bought off and nobody's thought of applying the Statue of Limitations. It's a heliotrope lid, and the foundation must have used up enough straw to bed down a circus. It has the dimensions and general outlines of a summer-house. The scheme of decoration is simple enough, though. The top of this heliotrope summer-house has been caught in a heliotrope fog, that's all. There's yards and yards of this gauzy stuff draped and puffed and looped around it, with only a wide purple ribbon showing here and there, and keeping the fog in place. Well. All that is resting careless in a box, the size of a quarter-mile running track, with the cover half off. And it's a work of art in itself, that box. All Louis cans, pictures, and a thick purple silk cord to tie it up with. Why, one glimpse of that combination was enough to make me clap my hand over my roll and back away from the spot. Just then, though, i notices another gent steppin' up for a squint at the monstrosity and i can't help lingering to see if he gets the same kind of a shock he's sort of a queer party too short stoop-shouldered thin-faced wrinkled old chap with the sandy mustache mixed some with gray and a pair of shrewd little eyes peering out under brushy brows anybody could spot him as a rutabaga delegate by the high-crowned soft hat and the back number ulster he's still sticking to though the thermometer's way up in the eighties but he don't seem to shy any at the purple lid he sticks his head out first this way and then that like a turtle and then all of a sudden he shoots over a kind of a quizzing glance at me i can't help but give him the grin At that, his mouth corners wrinkle up, and the little gray eyes begin to twinkle. Quite a hat, eh? he chuckles. It's going some in the lid line, says I. I expect that's a mighty stylish article, though, says he. That's the bluff the store people are making, says I, and there's no law against it. What would be your guess on the price of that there now, says he, edging up? Ah, let's leave such harrowing details to the man that has to pay for it, says I. No use in our getting the chilly spine over what's marked on the price ticket, that is, unless you're thinking of investing. And as I tips him the humorous wink, I starts to move off. But this wasn't the case where I was to get out so easy. He comes right after me. Excuse me, neighbor, says he, but— "'But that's exactly what I was thinking of doing, "'if it wasn't too infernally expensive.' "'What?' says I, gazing at him, "'for he ain't the kind of citizen you'd expect to find indulging in such foolishness. "'Ah, oh, well, don't mind my remarks. "'Go ahead and blow yourself. "'You want it for the missus, eh?' "'Yes,' he drawls, for "'For my wife.' er uh, er uh, would it be asking too much of a stranger if i should get you to step in there with me while i find out the price why says i looking him over careful why i don't know as i'd want to go as far as well what's the object you see says he i'm sort of a bashful poison, always have been and i don't just like to go in there alone amongst all them women folks but the fact is "'I kind of got my mind set on having that hat. "'And wife ain't in town, then?' says I. "'No,' says he. "'She's—she isn't.' "'Ain't you running some risk,' says I, "'loading up with a lid that may not fit her particular style of beauty.' "'That's so—that's so,' says he. "'Ought to be something that would kind of jibe with her complexion "'and the color of her hair, hadn't it?' "'You've surrounded the idea,' says I. "'I—' Maybe it would be safer to send for her to come on. No, says he, couldn't be done. But see here, and he takes my arm and steers me up the avenue. If you don't mind talking this over, I'd like to tell you a plan I've just thought out. Well, he'd got me some interested in him by that time. I could see he won no common rube. And them twinklin' little eyes of his kind of got me. So I tells him to reel it off. "'Maybe you never heard of me,' he goes on. "'But I'm Goliath Daggett, from South Forks, Iowa.' "'Guess I've missed hearing of you,' says I. "'I suppose so,' says he, kind of disappointed, though. "'The boys out there call me Gold Daggett.' "'Sounds most like a cuss word,' says I. "'Yes,' says he. "'That's one reason I'm pretty well known in the state. "'And there may be other reasons, too.' He lets out a little chuckle at that. Not loud, you know, but just as though he was swallowing some joke or other. It was a specialty of his, this smothered chuckle business. Of course, he goes on, you needn't tell me your name, unless... It's a fair swap, says I. Mine's McCabe, shorty for short. Yes, says he. I knew McCabe once. He, er, well, he... Never mind, says I. It's a big family, and there's only a few of us that's real credits to the name. But about this scheme of yours, Mr. Daggett? Certainly, says he. It's just this. If I could find a woman who looked a good deal like my wife, I could try the hat on her, couldn't I? She'd do as well, eh? I don't know why not, says I. Well, says he, I know of just such a woman. saw her this morning in my hotel barber shop, where I dropped in for a haircut. She was one of these what do you call em now? Manicure artists? Says I. That's it, says he. Asked me if I didn't want my fingers manicured, and by jinks, I let her do it just to see what it was like. Never felt so blamed foolish in my life. Look at them fingernails, will you? "'Been parin' em with a jack knife for fifty-seven years, "'and she soaks em out in a bowl of perfumery, "'jabs under em with a little stick wrapped in cotton, "'cuts off all the hang-nails, "'files em round at the ends and polishes em up "'so they shine as if they were varnished. "'He, <laughs> he, guess the boys would laugh if they could have seen me. "'It's one experience you've got on me,' says I, "'and this manicure lady is a ringer for Mrs. Thaggart, eh?' Well, now, says he, scratching his chin, maybe I ought to put it that she looks a good deal as Mrs. Daggett might have looked ten or fifteen years ago if she'd been got up that way. Same shade of red hair, only not such a thunderin' lot of it. Same kind of blue eyes, only not so wide open and starry. And a nose and chin that I couldn't help remarking, "'Course now you understand this young woman was fixed up "'considerable smarter than Mrs. Daggett ever was in her life. "'If she's a manicure artist in one of them Broadway hotels,' says I, "'I could guess that, especially if Mrs. Daggett's always stuck in Iowa.' "'Yes, that's right, she has,' says Daggett. "'But if she'd had the same chance to know what to wear and how to wear it, "'well, I wish she'd had it, that's all. "'And she wanted it. My, my, how she did hanker for such things, Mr. McCabe. Well, better late than never, says I. No, no, says he, his voice kind of breaking up. That's what I want to forget, how, how late it is. And hanged if he don't have to fish out a handkerchief and swab off his eyes. You see, he goes on, Marthy's gone. Eh, says I, you mean she's, he nods. Four years ago this spring,' says he, typhoid. "'But,' says I, "'how about this hat?' "'One of my notions,' says he, "'just a foolish idea of mine. "'I'll tell you. "'When she was lying there all white and thin "'and not caring whether she ever got up again or not, "'a new spring hat was the only thing I could get her "'to take an interest in. "'She'd never had what you might call "'a real bang-up stylish hat. "'Always wanted one, too.' And it wasn't because I was such a mean critter that she couldn't have had the money, but you know how it is in a little place like South Forks. They don't have em in stock, not the kind she wanted, and maybe we could have found one nearer than Omaha or Chicago. In some way, there never was a spring when I could seem to fix things so we could take the trip. Looked kind of foolish, too, traveling so far just to get a hat. So she went without and put up with what Miss Simmons could trim for her. They looked all right, too, and I used to tell Marthy they were mighty becoming. But all the time I knew they weren't just, well, you know. Say, I never saw any specimens of Miss Simmons' artworks, but I could make a guess, and I nods my head. Well, says Daggett, when I saw that Marthy was kind of given up, I used to coax her to get well. "'You just get on your feet once, Marthy,' says I, "'and we'll go down to Chicago and buy you "'the finest and stylish hat we can find in the whole city. "'More than that, you shall have a new one every spring, "'the very best.' "'She'd almost smile at that and half-promise she'd try. "'But it wasn't any use. "'The fever hadn't left her strength enough, "'and the first thing I knew she'd slipped away.' Odd sort of yarn to be here and there on Fifth Avenue on a sunshiny afternoon, wasn't it? And us dodging over crossins and ducking under awnings and sidestepping the foot traffic. But he keeps right close to my elbow and gives me the whole story, even to how they'd agreed to use the little knoll just back of the farmhouse as a burial plot, and how she mocked the hymns she wanted sung, and how she wanted him to find someone else as soon as the year was out. "'which was the only thing I couldn't say yes to,' says Daggett. "'No, Mothy," says I, "'not unless I can find another just like you. "'You'll be mighty lonesome, Goliath,' says she, "'and you'll be wantin' to change your flannels too Oily." "'Maybe so,' says I, "'but I guess I'll worry along for the rest of the time alone. "'Yes, sir, Mr. McCabe, "'she was a fine woman and a patient one,' No one ever knew how bad she wanted lots of things that she might have had and gave up. You see, I was pretty deep in the wheat business, and every dollar I could get hold of went to buying more reapers and interest in elevator companies and crop options. I was bound to be a rich man, and they say I got there. Yes, I guess I am fairly well fixed." It wasn't any chesty crow, but more like a sigh, and as we stops on a crossing to let a lady Plutus roll by in her brougham, Mr. Daggett, he sizes up the costume she wore and shakes his head kind of regretful. That's the way Marthy should have been dressed, says he. She'd have liked it, and she'd like the hat such as that we saw back there. That is, if it's the right kind. I've been buying em kind of careless, maybe. "'How's that?' says I. "'Oh,' says he, "'I didn't finish telling you about my fool idea. I've been getting one every spring, the best I could pick out, in Chicago, and carrying it up on the knoll where Marthy is, and just leaving it. Go on now, Mr. McCabe. Laugh if you want to. I won't mind. I can almost laugh at myself. Of course, Marthy's beyond caring for hats now. Still—' I like to leave him there, and I like to think perhaps she does know, after all. So, so I want to get that purple one, providing it would be the right shade. What do you say? Talk about your nutty propositions, eh? But honest, I didn't feel even like cracking a smile. Daggett, says I, you're a pure sport, even if you have got a few bats in the loft.' Let's go back and get quotations on the lid. I wish, says he, I could see it tried on that manicure young woman foist. Suppose we go down and bring her up. What makes you think she'll come, says I? Oh, I guess she will, says he, quiet and thoughtful. We'll try anyway. And say, right there I got a new line on him. I could almost frame up how it was he'd started in as a bacon-borrowing homesteader and got to be the John D. of his county. But I could see he was up against a new deal this trip. And as it was time for me to be getting down toward 42nd Street anyway, I goes along. As we strikes the hotel barber shop, I hangs up on the end of the cigar counter, while Daggett looks round for the young woman who'd put the chappy polish on his nails. "'That's her,' says he, pointing out a heavyweight Titian blonde in the far corner, and over he pikes. I couldn't help admiring the nerve of him, for all the langoline queens I ever saw, she's about the haughtiest. Maybe you can throw on the screen a picture of a female party with a lillian russell shape, hair like mrs leslie carter's, and an air like a twelve-dollar cloak model showing off a five-hundred-dollar lace dress to a bookmaker's bride. Just as Daggett tiptoes up, she's pattin down some of the red puffs that makes the back of her head look like a burnin oil tank and she swings round languid and scornful to see who it is that dares butt in on her presence. All the way she recognizes him as by a little lift of the eyebrows. I don't need to hear the dialogue. I can tell by her expression what Daggett is saying. First, there's a kind of condescending curiosity as he begins. Then she looks bored and turns back to the mirror, and pretty soon she sings out, "'What's that?' so you could hear her all over the shop. Then Daggett springs his proposition flat. "'Sir,' says she, jumping up and glaring at him. Daggett tries to soothe her down, but it's no go. "'Mr. Heinmuller,' she calls out, and the boss barber comes stepping over, leaving a customer with his face muffled in a hot towel. "'This poison,' she goes on, "'is insulting.' "'Hey!' says Mr. Heinmuller, puffing out his cheeks. Vossis dot!' "'And for a minute it looked like I'd have to jump in "'and save Daggett from being chucked through the window. "'I was just preparing to grab the boss by the collar, too, "'when Daggett gets in his fine wake. "'Slippin' ten off his roll, he passes it to Heinmuller, "'while he explains that all he asked of the lady "'was to try on a hat he was thinking of getting for his wife. "'That's all,' says he. "'No insult intended, and of course I expect to make it worthwhile for the young lady. "'I don't know whether it was the smooth young lady business "'or the sight of the fat roll that toyed the trick, "'but the tragedy is declared off. "'Inside of three minutes the boss tells Daggett that Miss Rooney accepts his apology "'and consents to go if he'll call a cab. "'Why, surely,' says he. "'You'll come along too, won't you, McCabe?' honest now i wouldn't dare do this alone too bad about that shy retiring disposition of yours says i afraid she'll steal you eh but he hangs on to my sleeve and coaxes me until i give in and we sure made a fine trio riding up fifth avenue in a taxi but you should have seen him in the millinery shop as we sails in with Miss Rooney, and Daggett says how he'd like a view of that heliotrope lid in the window. We had him guessing all right. Then they gets Miss Rooney in a chair before the mirror, and fits the monstrosity on top of her hair. Well, say, what a difference it does make in them freak bonnets whether they're in a box or on the right head for Miss Rooney has got just the right kind of face that hat was built to go with. It's a bit giddy, I'll admit, but she's a stunner in it. And does she notice it any herself? Well, some. A triumph, gurgles the sales lady, looking from one to the other of us, trying to figure out who she ought to play to. It's a game combination, all right, says I, looking wise. "'I only wish,' begins Daggett, and then swallows the rest of it. "'In a minute he steps up and says it'll do, "'and that the young lady is to pick out one for herself now. "'Oh, how perfectly sweet of you,' says Miss Rooney, "'slipping him a smile that should have had him clear through the ropes. "'But if I am to have any, why not this?' "'And she balances the heliotrope lid on her fingers, "'looking it over, yearning and tender.' It just suits me, doesn't it? Then there's more of the coy business aimed straight at Daggett, but Miss Rooney don't quite put it across. That's going out to Iowa with me, says he, prompt and decided. Oh, says Miss Rooney, and she proceeds to pick out a white straw with a green ostrich feather yard long. She was still looking puzzled, though, as we put her into the cab and started her back to the barber shop. "'Must have set you back near a hundred, didn't they?' says I, as Daggett and I pots on the corner. "'Almost,' says he. But it's worth it. Marthy would have looked mighty stylish in that purple one. Yes, yes. And when I get back to South Forks, the first thing I do will be to carry it up to the knoll, box and all, and leave it there. I wonder if she'll know, eh? There wasn't any use in my telling him what I thought, though. He wasn't talking to me anyway.' There was a kind of far-off, batty look in his eyes, and he stood there on the corner, and a drop of brine was trickling down one side of his nose. So we never says a word, but just shakes hands, him going his way and me mine. Gee, says Swifty Joe when I shows up long about three o'clock, you must have been putting away a hearty lunch. It wasn't that kept me, says I. I was helpin' hand a late one to Marthy. End of Goliath and the Popal Lid Read by Scotty Smith